I'm Dr. Irene Pastis. I'm a clinical assistant professor with the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine. And here today we have Dr. Daniel Majorwich, a third-year internal medicine psychiatry resident. Welcome, Dr. Majorwich. Hi, thank you. Good to be here. And I look forward to covering carbamazepine and oxcarbazepine on today's podcast. Let's start with some history. Absolutely. It's actually a pretty interesting history. Carbamazepine was initially developed in the 1950s. It was initially approved in 1962 for trigeminal neuralgia. 1963, they started to see the anti-epileptic properties, and it was officially approved in the U.S. in 1974 as an anticonvulsant. But its use in psychiatry actually started in the early 1970s. In Japan, lithium was not available, and so they were trying to find other sedating agents to use, and they used carbamazepine. At that point, they start to see some benefit in their manic depressive patients, which prompted further research. And carbamazepine, the extended release form, was FDA approved in 2004 for the treatment of acute manic and mixed episodes for patients with bipolar disorder. Oxcarbazepine was first synthesized in the 1960s as a keto analog to carbamazepine. It was thought to have less drug-drug interactions, less risk of bone marrow suppression, and hepatic dysfunction. And over time, we realized there was a greater incidence of hyponatremia, which we'll discuss later on. It was FDA approved for epilepsy in 2000, and some small trials initially supported its use in acute mania. And again, believed to have a better side effect profile than carbamazepine was one of the reasons why psychiatrists started to use it. And what are some common brand names and formulations of these medications? For carbamazepine, you may see the term in one we use here, as well as carbitrol and equitro, which is the extended release capsule. But there are different formulations, including trubal tablets, other tablets, oral suspension, extended release forms. Oxcarbazepine's uh, brand name is Trileptal, and you can see tablets or oral suspensions with those as well. So we have a variety of formulations for our patients. Right, that's a good point. So carbamazepine, tegridol, as well as oxcarbazepine, trileptal, both have different formulations and different options. That's always beneficial. Can you elaborate on the pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics of uh, these medications? So carbamazepine is a tricyclic structure that is extensively metabolized. And specifically, we're talking about the cytochrome system, the cytochrome P450-3A3-3A4 system with some other metabolism through the, the 2C8. Uh, there's also another pathway with the 1A2 system. It's around 19 hours and has a half-life of about 24 to 65 hours or about 35 to 40 hours for the extended release. But a very important note here is that it auto-induces itself. So about two to four weeks of being on therapy the levels will go down, and the half-life will go down as well to 8 to 17 hours. So again, carbamazepine induces 3A4, and it's metabolized by 3A4, so it essentially auto-induces itself. It is 75% bound to proteins, plasma proteins. In terms of its mechanism of action, it does block sodium channels in the CNS, which reduces glutamate release. This helps reduce neuronal firing and why we think it's useful for epilepsy, as well as with mania. It also affects voltage-gated calcium channels and potassium channels, and may interact with GABA-A receptors as well. There may also be a role in the serotonergic and dopaminergic system, too. 
Uh, one thing to note with, with carbamazepine is the tegretol suspension is absorbed slightly faster than the extended-release tablet, and the bioavailability of the extended-release tablet is a little bit less than the suspension, so you will have to dose accordingly. Now, oxcarbazepine essentially switches a ketone group in terms of, and switches it um, from a double bond in, in the carbamazepine structure. And so it's a derivative of carbamazepine. It's about 60% uh, plasma protein bound, and it is reduced by a reductase enzyme into a metabolite called monohydroxy derivative. And this is the derivative that's mostly excreted through our body. Now, there's no autoinduction like carbamazepine. It does inhibit the cytochrome system 2C19 and is a mild inducer of the 3A4, 3A5 system. It's excreted through the kidneys. The exact mechanism of action is not well understood, but it does seem to block voltage-sensitive sodium channels and inhibits glutamate release as well. And it also modulates high-voltage-activated calcium channels and may increase potassium conductance. That's a good point and something to remember. And you already talked about carbamazepine-inducing cytochrome 3 or 4 and also inducing its own metabolism. So if providers prescribe carbamazepine and patients are initially doing well, but a month later they decompensate, that is always a clue to the fact that it might have induced its metabolism. And now the plasma levels could be undetectable. And another point to mention is that cytochrome um, 3 or 4 is commonly used by antipsychotics too. So another thing to mention is that carbamazepine being an inducer of cytochrome 3 or 4, it can also affect metabolism of antipsychotics. And oxcarbazepine does not carry that risk of autoinduction, and it also is only a mild inducer of 3 or 4. So those are good points. Thank you for that. Can we review some dosing strategies for these medications? Absolutely. For carbamazepine, for bipolar disorder, seizure disorder, you can start around 200 milligrams twice a day. You can increase weekly by 200 milligrams a day in divided doses to a maximum of about 1,200 to 1,600 a day for adults, although you may see a maintenance dosage of around 800 to 1,200 per day. For trigeminal neuralgia, you may want to start a little bit lower, about 100 twice a day, and again can go up weekly by 200 milligrams a day to a maximum of 1,200 a day. For oxcarbazepine, again for bipolar disorder and seizures, you can start 600 milligrams in two doses and increase every three days by about 300 milligrams per day to a maximum dose of 2,400. If you're using the extended release form, you can start just 600 once a day and increase every week by 600 to a maintenance dose of 1,200 to 2,400. And just as a review, as we mentioned earlier, carbamazepine has FDA approval for treatment of acute manic and mixed episodes in bipolar, but oxcarbazepine does not have FDA approval. Mm -mm. And that's exactly right. For, for carbamazepine, you have that uh, FDA label, as well as for epilepsy and trigeminal neuralgia. But for oxcarbazepine, the only FDA approval is for partial seizures. And this really goes back again to the history of, of these two drugs. And these two large placebo randomized controlled trials in the early 2000s showed benefit in acute mania and mixed episodes for carbamazepine. And that's what led to its FDA approval. 
but really there's limited data for oxcarbazepine. And in fact, various Cochrane reviews have not really shown that much benefit with this medication. Uh, most of these trials were on mania themselves, and they didn't really separate from other agents such as valproic acid. There was one study that used oxcarbazepine in conjunction with lithium, and it seemed in that case depression rating scores had improved. But again, oxcarbazepine does not have an FDA label, and there seems to be more limited evidence compared to carbamazepine. Right, and that's something to consider when prescribing these medications because they can have some serious side effects, as we'll review later on. But before we talk about that, let's review some of the indications and other clinical uses of carbamazepine and oxcarbazepine. So as you said, carbamazepine can be used for epilepsy and trigeminal neuralgia, as well as acute mania and mixed episodes, but oxcarbazepine mainly for partial seizures with some limited benefit in mood disorders. Let's review some labs and exams that we should be undergoing when treating patients with uh, these medications. Absolutely. So before starting patients on these medications, it's important to get a baseline CBC, uh, looking at platelets as well, a complete metabolic panel, CMP, looking at sodium or liver function tests, kidney function, as well as thyroid function tests. You can also consider a baseline urine analysis. Of note, and one of the, the test questions we get as well, is for folks that are of Asian ancestry, it's important to actually get allele draining, especially for the HLA-B1502 allele. And the reason why this is important is because folks who have this allele, and again, this is more seen in the Asian population, are at increased risk for Steven Johnson syndrome. Of course, as we'll discuss later, there's a risk of neural tube defects, so it's important to get a baseline pregnancy test. And you can consider getting EKG if there's a cardiac history as it can affect conduction. As patients are on carbamazepine, it's important to check the CBC every couple of months, as well as a CMP, again, looking for liver, kidney, sodium function, as well as thyroid tests. Now, it should be noted, as we discuss with other medications like lithium or valproic acid, where we check serum levels, the serum concentrations of carbamazepine, oxcarbazepine, don't correlate exactly with psychiatric efficacy, but we do sometimes use the range that's used in epilepsy, and that's between 4 to 12 micrograms, kind of as a target for us. And again, for oxcarbazepine, because of its risk for hyponatremia, it's important to follow sodium levels, especially during the three months or if you notice any symptoms. That is a commonly seen test question about the HLA-B1502 allele because, like you said, it can increase risk for Steven Johnson syndrome. Well, let's review some contraindications to these medications. Yeah. For carbamazepine, really should not use this for folks that have had a history of bone marrow depression, as it can, can cause various blood dyscrasias. Of course, if there's any hypersensitivity, reaction history to the drug or any of its compounds. If someone was recently on an MAOI, MAO inhibitor, it's important not to use this within 14 days. There can also be issues when you have co-administration of some HIV medications, especially for those, again, that use the cytochrome 3A4 system. You can lose the virologic response, and so that's why it's important to talk to the infectious disease doctors, especially if you're going to use carbamazepine. For oxcarbazepine, the major contraindication is the hypersensitivity to its components.
And for our audience members, nifazidone is a very old medication, similar to trazodone, and a medication that is rarely prescribed nowadays. But some patients that have been on this long-term might still be on it, so that's always a point to remember. Mm -hmm. And definitely noting that the 14-day window with MAOIs, that's an important time interval to remember. And thank you for reminding us of that. Mm -hmm. Now, what are some side effects and toxicities that these medications carry? Absolutely. So some serious reactions you may get include the drug reaction with eosinophilia and systemic symptoms, dress syndrome. And there's a 12 times risk increase, especially for those that have a different allele to HLA-A3101 allele. And so if you know a patient that has that, you may want to consider using a different medication. Of course, we discussed Steven Johnson syndrome as well as toxic epidermal necrolysis. It's about 1 to 6 out of 10,000 patients who can develop this, but it's 10 times higher, again, for those with the HLA-B1502 allele. Suicidal behavior ideation can also be present. And again, the fetal toxicity, the neural tube defects that we discussed are a big side effect. And so you should counsel patients that are of um, pregnancy age. Again, hyponatremia, especially with oxcarbazepine. And again, the various blood dyscrasias like leukopenia and thrombocytopenia really seen more with carbamazepine. But you should stop this medication if you hear any signs of fever, sore throat, ulcers, or bleeding. Finally, if you hear any signs or see any signs of liver damage, that should be another indication to stop the medication. But common side effects include dizziness, somnolence. You may get some GI distress as well as blurry vision, dry mouth. Points and so it carries some serious side effects, and there are medications that might be better options to consider when treating patients with bipolar. And of note, you mentioned the fetal toxicities and neurotube defects such as spinal bifida. And so if patients do decide to continue this medication, then what you could do to counter that is prescribe folate at one milligram per day in early pregnancy but also educating patients about other risks that it carries, such as digital hypoplasia, excuse me, craniofacial deformities, and low birth weight. Well, thank you for reviewing that. And next we can talk about some drug-drug interactions. Absolutely. So with carbamazepine, again, this is a big cytochrome 3A4 inducer. And so like we discussed, it can induce itself also other medications that go through the 3A4 pathway, such as phenobarbital and phenytoin, can increase the clearance of carbamazepine itself, which can cause decrease in the levels. If you prescribe 3A4 inhibitors, such as nifazidone, which again is one of those contraindications, or fluvoxamine or fluoxetine, this can increase the levels of carbamazepine. So again, it's good to do a good medication reconciliation to see what other concurrent medications exist. Carbamazepine can also decrease a whole host of other medications because, again, it is a cytochrome 3A4 inducer. But some of those are the second-generation antipsychotics, as we discussed, such as clozapine. And the primary care setting, you may see things like doxycycline, um, other antidepressants, the tricyclic antidepressants. And, again, there's a whole list that we can go through, but it's just very important to, to look for carbamazepine on the medication list and adjust medications appropriately. Of note, carbamazepine can decrease oral contraceptive levels. That's another thing to counsel patients on. 
And again, we discussed trying to avoid MAO inhibitors within 14 days. Valproic acid also displaces carbamazepine from serum proteins, so it's important to monitor carbamazepine levels in the setting of valproic acid as well. In terms of oxcarbazepine, can increase phenytoin levels. Um, carbamazepine, phenytoin, phenobarbital can decrease levels of the active oxcarbazepine uh, metabolite, and it may decrease OCP effectiveness as well. Those are all good points, as it could be prescribed with other antiepileptics and mood stabilizers, and it can affect metabolism of these medications. And important points to mention was the 3A4 inducer and the fact that it can auto-induce itself in other medications, as well as uh, other antipsychotics that we commonly prescribe, like Clozeril and Risperidone. Absolutely. And again, there's always that life-threatening rash you have to monitor. And so it's you have to be careful with prescribing that in certain populations. And something that we should mention as well, whether we're talking about carbamazepine or some of the other mood stabilizers that affect neural tube, is you really should have a discussion with your patients on appropriate contraception if one of these medications is to be used. And again, some of them may lower oral birth controls and so you may want to consider other options like IUDs or other approaches as well. Good points. And just for our audience, remembering that carbamazepine is FDA approved for acute mania and mixed episodes, as well as a very good option for people with trigeminal neuralgia. Oxcarbazepine just has the FDA approval for epilepsy, but not an FDA approval for mood disorders. Yes, watch out for sodium with oxcarbazepine. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time today, Dr. Majarwich, and thank you for reviewing these medications with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much.